Hi, everyone. Really good to see you again this week. Thank you for joining me on yet another episode of um, the podcast. I'm, we're getting to the point where this conversation, I keep having to explain, but I feel like now you get the gist, that we're going to keep having conversations at, that are generally considered a bit sensitive, a bit controversial for some cases, and difficult to have. But that's the whole point of us continuing to engage so that we can remove the stigma and, um, and help demystify and clarify issues, especially to do with sexual, reproductive, and related mental health issues. Today's episode, I'll be fought by <laughs> colleagues, <laughs> but it's necessary for, ha- for us to have this conversation. Um, doctors and the fact that we seem to be repeatedly highlighted for the wrong reasons. We've been accused of not listening to our patients. We've actually had scenarios where we've been accused of a breach of trust, breach of confidentiality, and um, in some cases, actually overt abuse. And so today I have a colleague of mine, somebody I'm very good friends with, and she mentors me, and she's like a ray of sunshine. And when you see her, you'll understand what I mean. <laughs> uh, Dr. Nelly Bosire, to help me sort of delve into this con- into this topic, because it's one that's difficult to have. Everybody sort of has a point of view. Doctors will have in our own community, different points of view when it comes to this topic. So let's delve into it, engage on the matter, and then I'd love to see what you guys have to say in the comments. Um, for those who are shy, I keep saying you can always direct message, and all our social handles will be in the description box. So have a look at that and reach out, and let's continue the conversation. So welcome, Dr. Nelly. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Claire, for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for coming. I'm very excited, as always. Ray of sunshine. Like, it's, it's even an understatement. <laughs> On this dull day, you're literally, you brought the sun. <laughs> so it's really oh, good. Excited. It's really good to have you. Mm-hmm. I'll start, as always, by asking you to introduce yourself. Tell us a bit about yourself and then what you do and the different hats that you wear. <laughs> right. So, as I said, my name is Dr. Nelly Bosire. The many, many hearts, primarily, I think uh, my most, um, the, the heart I appreciate the most is that I'm an obstetrician and gynecologist. Mm-hmm. I bring life into the world. I could never get enough of that privilege. Right. And I'm excited that I get to have, to be the first one to see all the babies when they come out. Yeah, I say it's the best job in the Absolutely. world. Absolutely. We yeah. have the best job in the world. True, true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So my other hats, um, one is that I am a patient advocate mm-hmm. and I do that in many ways. One of them is through policy and I have actually worked with the Ministry of Health and a lot of development of policy documents mm-hmm. uh, related to reproductive health. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is the advocacy for that to mm-hmm. ensure implementation, to ensure that there is uptake, to ensure that women, irrespective of what walk of life they come from, they have access to quality, acceptable, uh, affordable reproductive health. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other hat that I have worn for a while now is um, not a very nice hat to a lot of people, mm-hmm. <laughs> but a very important one too. I have served at the Medical Practitioners and Dentist Council mm-hmm. um, since 2014. Right. Uh, initially as a member of the board and now uh, been in a, uh, as a member of the Disciplinary and Ethics Committee. Mm-hmm where we then um, listen to the cases that are filed before us uh, by the general public Mm. against practitioners and against hospitals. Mm. And I feel like that's the primary reason (laughs) we have you. Those are the hats that I'm going to be, you know, digging into so that we have a bit more information. Because like you said, 
this misunderstanding to the point of thinking you are chasing after me, it's, it's a vendetta, you are trying to destroy my life, my practice, and yet we know it's important to have systems in place to keep us under check, mm-hmm. even though you know, we consider ourselves we're doctors and we should be held to a higher standard, but that higher standard requires that you're safe to practice. Absolutely. And so that's kind of what we're going to delve into today. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, we're going to have our handles in the description bar, but then you can let us know where mm-hmm. to find you in terms of your practice. Okay, uh, my practice is at the Kenya Medical Association, KME Building mm-hmm. in Upper Hill. Mm. I'm on second floor, suite 213, right on Mara Road. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so just right straight into the matter. You mm-hmm. said one of your hats is working as a patient advocate. What would you say that you focus on, especially now, I'm going to focus more on practice mm-hmm. before we go now into the regulations and checking. As a practitioner, mm-hmm. how do you feel what have you what have you done so that you put yourself in such a place that your patients feel cared for they feel heard and they feel like you're a safe person for them to be able to confide and trust i think first of all um i always say when you're a provider you must always remember you remain a potential patient mm-hmm. all your life mm-hmm. as long as you're still alive you can actually require medical services so you remain a potential patient yeah. and so the question is how would you like to be treated mm-hmm. How would you like when you walk into your doctor's office, uh, how would you like to be handled? Mm -hmm. And I think that has always been my guiding, you know, principle. How would I like to be handled? Would I like to be hard? Um, So one of the things I've I've always thought, first of all, we have a notion sometimes Mm -hmm. when we are high level scientists that people don't understand the things Mm -hmm. we talk about. Mm -hmm. So I would just wish to just completely break that down because the first thing about being a good doctor is being able to communicate. So however complex the issue is, Mm. if you can break it down in a language that your 80-year-old Shosho sitting in front of you with cancer of the cervix can be able to understand, then you have actually done your job. So it really is that simple. You must be able to find a language, Mm -hmm. which means for you to explain, you must learn to listen. Mm -hmm. And patients know what's wrong with them. That's why they came to you. They know what's broken in their body. They live with this body every single day. Mm. So if you don't listen, then you get to miss so much. And it really um, determines then how you begin to relate with your patient. Mm. Are you taking your time to make them feel comfortable? Mm -hmm. Are you taking the time to appreciate that what they're saying matters? Do you have empathy Mm -hmm. that they actually feel hard? Do you take time to explain what you intend to do? Mm-hmm. Informed consent, mm-hmm. consent in every single step of the way in patient care. Right. It's a big deal. Yeah. Are you explaining why you need to order tests? Are you explaining the medication you're giving, what it's expected to do, why you have chosen that? Mm-hmm. How often do you make your patient a decision maker? Because if they are informed enough mm-hmm. about what is going to happen, mm-hmm. then they, they must be able to actively participate in decision, in their own care. Mm-hmm. So when we take away their right to be able to participate in that process, mm-hmm. then we're not listening. Okay, yeah. And that's, those are things that we must learn to change mm-hmm. because where we're going, our patients are smarter than us. Mm-hmm. They have access to the same information. Yeah. They, they may not understand it as well as we do, yeah. but they do have access to True. that information. And a lot of times by the time mm-hmm. they come to see you, they've done all the reading possible. Absolutely. The internet has given them every version, mm-hmm. every, whether correct <laughs> or incorrect. But they have some they have, baseline. Yeah, they have a know. lot of, in fact, a lot more information than you're aware of. Absolutely. And like you said, it does have, 
have to start by listening because you can easily project your own biases onto someone because you're making assumptions instead of understanding why they came in to see you. Absolutely. And you also have to remember that by the Hippocratic Oath, you -hmm. should treat somebody irrespective of their religion, irrespective of their gender, irrespective of their beliefs. Mm -hmm. So that means that Mm -hmm. you do not have authority to carry your own into this care plan. It's a two-way traffic. Mm -hmm. So... You cannot claim to not judge Mm -hmm. when you're imposing your own beliefs. What I always tell people, we have something called the right to conscientious objection. Mm -hmm. When you're uncomfortable with the treatments that your patients are choosing, Mm -hmm. you have the right to refer them to somebody else. Don't bias their care because you disagree. And informed consent basically means that a lot of the times our patients are going to make choices which we think are like, oh my God. Are you even listening what you I know? said? <laughs> but imagine, guess yeah. what? It is their right. Exactly. So we must be able to honor patients' choices. Mm. We must be able to realize that even if they don't like the decision you chose, mm. I mean, the, the options you gave, mm. or they picked those options and they're probably not the ones you prefer, Uh, You don't get to have a choice. You don't get to have a say. Mm. And also when we're talking about giving a patient choices, you do not limit them to the choices you can provide. Mm -hmm. You must be able to tell them all the available options, even (sighs) if that means referring Referring. this patient to care elsewhere, because where you are, Mm. you do not have those resources. Because we have seen a lot of patients say, nobody told me I had this Mm -hmm, option. mm -hmm. And now I'm back here with the same problem. Whereas if I had taken this option, I would have had better choices. So yes, we do have to tell them that's what informed consent is. Mm -hmm. So even when you know this is not my skill set, this is not my strong point, either team up with another provider Mm -hmm. to provide the best possible care or refer to somebody who you know has that specialization or that training and I think that's where the challenge comes in mm-hmm. because if you look at it, it's your livelihood as well. So True. then you start asking, will I be referring everybody? But that's the point where I tell my colleagues, train, go back for training. If go you know back, improve gap, your skills if you want exactly. to offer the service. Mm. But if you do not, remember, it's never about you. Mm. It is a constitutional right for a patient to have the highest attainable standard of care, even when that doesn't lie with you. True. So by standing in the patient's way, you are actually obstructing mm-hmm. them. And mm-hmm. that's break, taking away their constitutional right. right. So you cannot do that. Yeah. The other um, challenge that sometimes we have is when you judge a patient and decide they can't afford, so I don't have mm. to tell them about this mm-hmm. option. Yeah. Even if the option costs four times more, let them know let them it know. exists. Yeah. Some of the patients you will be thinking cannot afford may surprise you yeah. because yeah. you don't know their support system. True. You don't know where they come from. True. You don't know who sent them to you and is waiting to hear all the available options mm. to decide what's best for the patient. Right. So that is also something that has been quite an issue. Mm. And then there are also, as you say, personal biases. I will give you an example. I've had a lot of female patients who are now looking to sue our ass Mm. um, because they feel like their autonomy was being interfered Mm -hmm. with. So somebody is in their 30s, they want their, they have huge fibroids Mm. that are symptomatic. Mm -hmm. The doctor refuses to give them the option of removing their uterus Mm -hmm. simply because they've not had Had children. children. However, they're clear they don't want to have Mm -hmm. children. Mm -hmm. And I can assure you, there is no meter yeah. 
for are they sure are they, are they sure yeah. sure will she be sure at 35 <laughs> you know? or at 40 or Absolutely. at 60 i mean and that's not our <laughs> decision not our i know decision. as difficult as it is for yeah. you to understand dear doctor it's not your decision exactly. to make your But, job is to counsel yeah including talking to them about the fact that they may regret this mm. decision mm-hmm. later on in life yeah And as long as they're adequately counseled and they actually give informed consent you do not have the right to stand mm-hmm. in their way and mm-hmm. this again comes back if you're not comfortable please refer, refer. to exactly. somebody else exactly. who is not as antsy as you as yeah. honoring in honoring the patients Uh, options, options yeah. yeah that you give an example with fibroids the trickier one i find is contraception mm-hmm. we have younger women who have chosen that the label now is to be child free mm-hmm. and it's a decision that she feels she's very sure of and she comes in to see you as the gynecologist for a permanent yes, option God. so come in and i want you to tie my tubes and so many have come as a second or a third opinion because they have been refused that option mm-hmm. instead they're either diverted to long term contraception or chased out based off of mm-hmm. I don't I don't do such things exactly. me as the doctor so I mm-hmm. chased them out of the office with no referral with no idea of where, what to do or where to go next mm-hmm. I think we have to check ourselves because that's we I get it it's cultural mm-hmm. it's our background we fully in fact it's our training as well I can't even just say it's culture because mm-hmm. I remember while in med school being told the most important thing for a woman is her fertility the most important thing you must preserve <laughs> you must save that uterus even when we're bleeding out in theater mm-hmm. you have you know save that uterus so now when you meet someone who says please take it out i don't intend to use this organ it's making me suffer i have endometriosis polycystic ovaries my periods are hell take out this uterus you go eh? <laughs> me also to preserve fertility yeah, absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so those are some of the challenges and again it's not that we are faulting No. Anybody it's no. just understanding that you need to check your own biases and inform give informed um enough information that someone can pick their options decide what's best my best fit me mm-hmm. as the patient and mm-hmm. then okay fine I don't offer contraception or I'm not comfortable with the option that you've chosen but this my colleague here this is where to find them here is how to contact them and let them look after you from there Absolutely. I really hope so we I can think get I can, can assure you that if we do not <laughs> conform quick enough mm. the patients will make us conform because they are now suing for being denied right. access right. to healthcare. Yeah. And uh, we can argue till the cows come home mm-hmm. about what is access to healthcare but bottom line is that even and, and 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 just as you said this is how we were taught in school mm. however what our teachers forgot to tell us is that those were the guidelines at the time you were in school exactly. and these have been continuously changing. Yes. Our most recent um contraceptive guidelines in this country actually permit for that and they do not put an age to it exactly. they do not put a parity to it they do True. not decide how many children do you have for you to qualify mm. the emphasis is on informed consent, consent. and yeah. what they say is that if you feel that the patient may be asking for this option but they don't seem to be very sure mm. or maybe to understand the implication you should be able to offer them a contraceptive option for a month mm-hmm. and they're very categorical about mm. it for a month mm-hmm. to give them time to think about mm-hmm. it but then after one month you actually have nothing to hold the person's decision over true, them true. so no even the guidelines have actually evolved, evolved yeah. but it means that either we're not studying mm-hmm. we're not reading mm-hmm. we're not keeping up to date mm-hmm. with what is currently in practice yeah. and you know in law so we have to understand that in medicine ignorance is not a defense mm-hmm. so as doctors it's our job to be up 
to date? Yeah. What are the latest guidelines? Are you attending dissemination meetings? Mm-hmm. Are you actually bothering to read them once they've been shared out? Mm-hmm. Because you'd be surprised things really change. And these things are informed by what our patients actually want. want. Exactly. It's exactly. about, as I said again, highest attainable standard of care mm-hmm. for, them, for them, not us, True. the providers. True. Our job will just be to step up our skills. Yeah. So that we are in keeping. True. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing I'd want us to address is trust. Mm-hmm. Because confidentiality seems to be something we are much more casual about. And especially so when it comes to discussing the patients with others. Mm-hmm. So usually within the profession. And there's a certain way it's allowed. There's provisions that I can share with my colleague in order to come up with a better um, decision for my patient or mm-hmm. better options for the patient. There's also the within the office, within the clinic, within the hospital, there are certain levels that will also have the same information. The nursing team, the maybe clinicians as well, mm-hmm. the physicians, the, whoever is under the umbrella of patient care. But then we also have those casual, let's, I had a very weird person come in, let's talk about, let's gossip. Mm-hmm. Let's gossip about the patient. Patient confidentiality, it's challenging because I don't also know that we are taught, like you said, it's about... If you're stuck with what you were taught in med school, you'll be left many, many years behind and you have to actually keep current. Mm-hmm. But we know that that is somebody, something that is the patient's right. Mm-hmm. And you will be liable if you breach this confidentiality. And of, of course, there's also the fact that your patients are not going to trust you. If I go golfing and I hear my information on the golf course, That's where true. else could it have come from? Right. Mm-hmm. So what's your opinion there? So um, I think the Helsinki declaration has not changed mm-hmm. We are we are held to that. Yeah. That you shall actually maintain patient confidentiality. Mm. Um, however, I think even before we come back to physicians, because for us as care providers, it's very clear. Mm. We're now going to be struggling with new things. Mm-hmm. We just had Kenya part pass the Data Protection um, mm-hmm. Act. Yeah. And the act has given access to information. Mm. But remember, traditionally, Part of honoring the Helsinki Declaration and even our Hippocratic Oath mm. is that not even the patient is allowed their own patient, patient information. information. Yeah. They would have a summary explaining what, they, what is going on, mm. what their illness is, mm-hmm. what has been done, what is required to be done, and that is their right. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. Nowhere in the world have patients been given their files files. or access to their medical records. Mm. However, with the Data Protection Act, it has come that we must share. Mm -hmm. We don't even have a problem sharing with patients the information. That's theirs. Our struggle is what they're doing with this information, especially when they feel aggrieved Mm -hmm. that their care was not proper. And the patients don't realize just how damaging it is when they put the details of their care now, on social, on social media, media, for instance, mm. so you may do everything to protect your patient confidentiality, mm-hmm. but the patient themselves will be the ones to well, throw it out of yeah. the window. Yeah. And, and when these repercussions come on later, you're a little stuck mm. because you're thinking, I mean, there was a reason this has always been the practice and why it continues to be the practice all world over. Yeah. Uh, it's very different. Mm-hmm. So we're here and we have to think about How are we balancing this? Mm. We have been always very clear that patient records are accessed by court order. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when we are putting laws 
into place mm -hmm. without considering other existing laws mm -hmm. and how they affect them, mm -hmm. you can see how we're going to start have to a problem. Have because now patients will start demanding, I, have, I am moving to from, from Dr. Nelly to Dr. Claire. Mm. Give me my file I go with. My file, yeah. um, no, it's not your file. Yeah. It is file about you. Mm. I, I am expected by law mm -hmm. to actually keep your medical records. And there is even sure. classification for sure. how long yeah. that you should preserve this. Mm. Okay. For hospitals, it's very clear that if somebody was born there, their file never leaves until they die. Mm -hmm. If somebody has a mental illness, you must keep that file at whichever point they came into your care mm. until they die. Mm -hmm. If anybody has been your patient, you must keep their information for no less than 20 years mm. before you discard these old files. Mm. And remember, this was then when we were using a lot of hard copies. So just thinking about the volumes yeah. that we generate for patient documentation, it made sense that at some point we need to let things go. Mm -hmm. However, all these years now, we are going into technology. Mm -hmm. Things are going to be on cloud. We mm -hmm. are going into HMI systems mm -hmm. that are online. Yeah. So we may actually be told we are not allowed to delete, which mm -hmm. is fine. So we need to really kind of think through mm -hmm. how we have chosen to implement that act mm -hmm. and see how best we still protect patients because sometimes, unfortunately, they need protection even from themselves. From themselves. That's true. That's true. Okay. Sometimes a patient is so angry and in that emotional state they'll be taking snapshots of their medical records and putting on social media and mm -hmm. saying how this has affected them mm -hmm. they don't realize that 10 years down the line that can be a reason why they don't get a job mm -hmm. because they can or why they are unable to get onto an insurance cover because yeah. they have already declared already. they have a chronic illness and it has been there for this long mm -hmm. and all these things that are really private to you, to you. True. so we do have to also think about that aspect mm -hmm. but coming from the doctor perspective we need to step up. We definitely need to step up. I can assure you that we have actually had a case filed before us mm -hmm. of, a, of, of, of a patient who sued because the, the patient felt that they are, their confidentiality was, was violated. violated. Yeah. yeah. And looking at the manner in which recruit was presented, there is no way that the person was going to get away with that. Right. It was an, and it was in the most... You would, it, 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 it it's was really the most casual. No, it was in, it was even in such a casual manner. The yeah. person never even imagined yeah. that this could come back mm. to haunt them. Mm. And when we talk about these patient records, we keep taking it for granted, thinking it's all about the file. What did the notes write? It's as basic as this discharge summary, which the patient goes home with, which mm. once it has left you, you have no control, control over. over. It is about lab tests that were requested mm. that maybe have not been properly filed. Mm. It is about, you know, how, where you take this information. And mm. it takes us back to even how much information we even share with third-party insurance companies. Sure. And the reason why we can be able to do that safely is because we believe that the insurance on the other side, the recipient of this information, mm. should be a healthcare key. practitioner. Sure. True. Okay. So that confidentiality, so that the confidentiality chain is maintained. Yeah. But if the person who's going to look at this is an underwriter who has no medical background, you can see how insurance companies themselves will find themselves sued mm. because of breach of patient confidentiality. True. But as healthcare practitioners, it's upon us to be the ones to set the standard. Mm -hmm. True. As simple that. as that. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, duties of the medical council. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we, we receive you know, in person as well as hearing hearsay, talking among colleagues and the likes, and especially so from patients themselves, how people tend to feel or believe that if my doctor 
if I feel they've been negligent or I want to accuse them of malpractice, I don't feel like I know the avenues in which we can report breaches, mm -hmm. either in trust or misconduct or in cases where we've been accused of actual abuse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Here, just for context, I will reference, um, there was the article that was written, I believe it was the 1st of August of this year mm -hmm. in The Nation. Um, and the title I'll never forget was Gynecologists Gone Rogue. Oh, yes. Right? <laughs> and it was sent to me. Mm -hmm. Best believe by patients. <laughs> because they're like, you mm -hmm. see, this is what we're talking about. This is what is being done out there. These are the stories, the horror stories that we are hearing or friends have told us about their own experiences. Um, and for that particular article, it was mm -hmm. actually referencing abuse of, this is sexual abuse, actually. Mm -hmm. So, again, trigger warning for anybody where this conversation, once we switch to a sexual abuse kind of conversation, is triggering for them. That's where we are going for the next few minutes. Um, so, either skip this section or uh, continue with, you know, another episode. Um, the main thing about this article was reporting multiple cases and especially so what I what I picked up from it was first time experiences at a gynecologist office and the women felt violated and reading it as a practitioner not as an angered enraged Kenyan mm -hmm. what I read was a lack of communication the the doctor did not explain what they were about to do mm -hmm. the other thing I noticed was a lack of a chaperone which is a requirement right so those were the things that stood out. But again, I'm, I have training, so mm -hmm. I will understand it like that. But somebody who's reading it will think, these doctors have gone rogue. They're trying mm -hmm. to rape all of us. Mm -hmm. it's male gynecologists are dangerous. Now we should never go to see the male gynecologist, um, which again is problematic in itself. But then some of them are truly actual cases of abuse. Absolutely. Um, when it comes now to the confidence to report, and especially so where the council comes into play, what can I do as a patient if I have this as a challenge? Who do I speak to? What is the process? Is it an anonymous process or do I have to stand up for myself and speak up and follow through? Maybe you can give us a bit of guidance there. So um, I think despite the fact that uh, many people are unaware mm -hmm. of the function that the medical council does mm -hmm. in that space, it probably becomes one of the easiest places to report mm -hmm. because. We're coming from a professional perspective mm -hmm. and therefore it is a lot easier for you to be understood as compared to taking it, let's say, to a general court of law mm -hmm. where the people listening to you may not even be practitioners and may, may not understand it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. So the council has really gone a long way mm -hmm. in trying to make it easy for reporting. Mm -hmm. However, it is still a a matter of jurisprudence and just like any other court of law because the disciplinary and ethics council uh, committee of the council mm. is actually an equivalent of a court of law right and even any appeals out of the rulings made there are, can only be appealed at the high court right so understanding that concept and knowing the sensitive nature of uh, medical issues mm -hmm. Um, it's important that people understand, unfortunately, you will still have to present yourself physically. Mm -hmm. So filing the complaint can be done online mm -hmm. because the council website actually has access to the forms. You can download the forms, mm -hmm. you can fill the forms, then you can file your complaint and attach your evidence mm -hmm. and share it in. Mm -hmm. Now, where do we struggle? Number one, our victims will struggle to start the process mm -hmm. of reporting. Mm -hmm. And this isn't only 
in the medical council or medical malpractice issues, mm. we know even in cases of sexual offenses, just how small a portion of them yeah. ever even get to That's be reported. True. Because you have to remember, this is someone who's traumatized. Absolutely. And the whole process of reporting and following through can be experienced as a re-traumatization. Always, yeah. always. So yeah. you must always be able to understand that. Mm. So we do know that a lot of people will struggle. Mm-hmm. What they don't realize is that just because your emotions have finally come down has not made the case less valid. Mm-hmm. In fact, it might be a lot better then because you're less emotional, Mm -hmm. you're more likely to put together sufficient evidence Mm -hmm. for this case to be heard. Right. So we have to remember the Kenyan judicial system is very clear Mm. that that person you accuse still stands a right of reply. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to the hearing, you will have to come face to face Mm -hmm. with the person you have accused. Mm -hmm. And so this is where many people chicken out. Mm -hmm. The process takes time, just like any other judicial process, Mm -hmm. because we must be able to give everybody an equal opportunity to be heard and to reply. Mm -hmm. And just like any other court case, it will proceed through the logical steps. The complaint is filed. Mm -hmm. The information required is asked for. Mm -hmm. The accused is actually given a copy of the complaint and the evidence attached so that they have a right of reply. Mm -hmm. Thereafter, we come back to setting down, um, the counsel sitting down to see does the case have merit. Mm Once it has been determined to have merit, the matter will progress to a hearing. Mm -hmm. And for it to progress to a hearing, now both parties have to be present Mm -hmm. and represent themselves or they can have legal representation. And the hearing dates are set and the hearing is done Mm -hmm. and thereafter now the ruling will be done. So just like any other process, Mm -hmm. it, it is important for people to know that you do not need to have a lawyer. Nobody is going to judge you differently because you didn't come with the lawyer. lawyer. Lawyers right. give a lot of confidence to the person, but it doesn't change the fact that this is a professional misconduct. True. And therefore, the manner in which it is being investigated mm. will not matter whether you are lawyered up mm-hmm. or you are not. Mm-hmm. You would actually be surprised how many Kenyans from very difficult backgrounds mm-hmm. present themselves as they are and they still get justice. Mm-hmm. So that should never be a challenge. Right. What we really need to get rid of is this attitude that people think that uh, because it's doctors sitting in, mm-hmm. that then the the, the 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 case cannot be fair. Yeah, we we, we have to remember each other absolutely, we but we have other. to remember that. Yeah, uh, what we call the autonomy to self-regulate mm. is what all professions are hinged on. Mm-hmm. And for us, if we fail to self-regulate, we will destroy the profession. The profession exactly. So it is very jealously guarded and rogue people will not be allowed mm. to actually put the profession in into disrepute. Mm-hmm. But also in the same vein, we know how high emotions run when outcomes are not good. Mm. Okay, right. And somebody has to look for someone to blame. So we also still have to be able to say, quite honestly, did this person do everything possible mm-hmm. to save life? Mm-hmm. Okay, right. And it is very clear for people who have been able to sit through the entire rulings, even when a person is found not culpable, mm-hmm. even the complainant is able to see this right. process. Right. And I will give you a case we had one time in the hearing. And the person suing was really emotional because they had lost a loved one. Mm -hmm. However, what we realized, as you said, communication. Mm -hmm. At the times when tempers are flying, it is very difficult even for the aggrieved to hear you, the doctor, when you're trying to explain. And the hearing is an opportunity Mm -hmm. 
for people to be able to hold the conversations that sometimes are six months late. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. And I remember when the defendant was actually making their presentation, the person who had filed the complaint actually stood up, apologized to him and said, I thought I was hurting. Mm. I didn't realize what you were going mm. through. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just my loss. Yeah. You know, yeah. so we have those. Mm. What we don't have is because these hearings are done be behind closed doors, mm. because remember, we still must maintain patient confidentiality. Exactly. exactly. That a lot of the times you're not going to see these rulings in the press. Exactly. You will never see these right. rulings in the press. And I think that's part of mm -hmm. the misunderstanding or misconception that even if I report it, nothing will be done. Mm -hmm. It's just that, yes, the, actually, there are doctors who are suspended, Absolutely. who are found culpable and Absolutely. suspended. Hospitals. Those, exactly, yeah. You know, right. have had whole units closed down for right. durations, have had services dismissed, pay hefty fines right. to the people who have been injured. Right. We have doctors who's, we, we have a doctor who was deregistered mm -hmm. in this country. Mm -hmm. This is a rare thing to happen. Yeah. We have had doctors suspended mm -hmm. for extended durations of time and sent back for, for, retraining, for retraining because they have been considered right. unsafe. Right. So yes, it happens. It's just, it's just that, that it doesn't the make media. the front exactly. pages. Right. So nobody actually knows that justice is usually served. Right. Right. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of the times when we find those who are not happy with the ruling mm. and they actually have a right to seek redress mm -hmm. by taking this matter and appealing at the high court but they would probably prefer to do an appeal in the court of public opinion mm. which really is their right mm. okay true, true. but it doesn't always mean that they're always right mm. but we have to realize just how emotive these mm -hmm. issues get yeah. and so you cannot step in to tell somebody how they should feel mm -hmm. about a situation right yeah. right um I'll move on now to patient advocacy and our role as doctors because I feel like we sort of have classified advocacy as a job on the side. Mm -hmm. It's something I do extra, whereas it's supposed to be part of the hat I wear as a doctor, as Absolutely. a medical provider. Um, what advice would you have, especially so for younger doctors, uh, doctors in training, um, clinicians in general as well, anyone who's in um, a health a healthcare provider, because again, we're just we're not going to just you know narrow ourselves because we do work in teams. Mm -hmm. What advice would you have for us when it comes to being the best possible patient advocates in our day-to-day -day practice? Day -to -day. Yeah, I think advocacy's biggest strength, as you say, is in the day-to-day -day practice. Mm. Advocacy isn't about being on a podium and talking loudly. Mm. Advocacy is about the person sitting in front of me. Mm -hmm. Do they have their full rights respected? Mm -hmm. Okay. And it comes in very interesting ways. The fact that as a provider, you can actually determine that this patient requires a skill set above what I have mm -hmm. and be able to refer mm -hmm. is patient advocacy. Mm -hmm. The fact that you actually bring to light for the patient that your condition requires teamwork. Um, and the fact that you need to bring on board other specialists mm -hmm. to be able to give the best possible care right. is patient advocacy. Yeah. So I sum it up in patient-centered care. Mm -hmm. Do not treat the condition. Mm -hmm. Treat the person True. who is sitting in front of you. True. You and I could be suffering from the same medical condition, but our circumstances are so different mm -hmm. that if we just decided to give generic treatment, one of us is going to suffer. True. So thinking about it like that all the time makes sense. As a practitioner, are you comfortably providing service in a facility that you know is a threat to the patient's mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. At which point do you say, 
my patient's surgery is not an emergency. Mm. I will not hold it in this hospital unless it means the minimum standard for the provision of this service. Exactly. That is strong patient advocacy. In that space where you're the only one who mm. actually has the capacity to realize that this is not safe for, for the, the patient, patient, even True. when the patient doesn't know True. that. That's actually How true. often do we tell a patient, I do not want you in labor ward alone. Mm -hmm. Show me your support system mm -hmm. to hold your hand through this because mm -hmm. it's going to be difficult. True. That is patient advocacy. Mm -hmm. How often do we tell patients, I know this is how you're used to it being done, mm -hmm. but actually we have improved standards. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't be anything below this. This right. is the bar. Right. Whether I'm the one providing the service or it is somebody right. else. Right. How often do we hold our administrations to account mm -hmm. to ensure that they provide a safe space for patients to recuperate? Mm -hmm. How often do we hold our governments mm -hmm. to account mm -hmm. and saying, look, we, we are going to provide service, but you are going to ensure it's properly financed. True. That we have the adequate, the seven pillars of healthcare. Do you have proper financing, governance, mm -hmm. human resource, commodities? Mm -hmm. All these things have to tie up. True. And patients will not know that. True. We, the healthcare providers, do. Other ones who That's know. advocacy. Right. So it doesn't always have to be so high up mm -hmm. in our spaces where we sit every single day. Right. We have room to make a difference. Right. Mm -hmm. I like that because that just simplifies it. Because most people will sit like, okay, but you say advocacy. What does that mean? That mm -hmm. sounds like a big foreign word. But it's in the everyday, like what you've said, day to day. If where I'm practicing is unsafe, then I really shouldn't even be taking my patients there. And I should challenge the facility to improve Absolutely. and to actually meet the stand the mini bare minimum standards and surpass those. Mm -hmm. If it's my office, do I make the is the place safe? Are we talking about infection control? How how good are we in terms mm -hmm. of our infection control? Because it can come down to just that. I mean just that. Just cleanliness in hospitals paralyzes a whole mm -hmm. facility or a whole unit because we do know the kind of bugs we can spread Absolutely. in those kind of settings. So, um, again, just, yeah, I like that concept of it's where you're practicing and how you are practicing. If you know you are not trained or you don't feel confident in the skills, mm -hmm. refer. Absolutely. Stop Stop sitting there with the patient. I know. Giving them bare Even at the hospital, happens. if the hospital doesn't have the resources, early referral Are, all the exactly, time saves lives. Exactly. Yes. And we've seen a lot of lives lost because of that. That delay of we're going to hold on to you and till the last possible minute and mm -hmm. then last ditch effort throw you, you at a, the next care uh, facility. Know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, when it now comes to now, I'll ask you to give advice mm -hmm. on the other di in the other direction, patient facing. What advice would you have for patients in order for them to advocate for themselves? Gone are the days where the doctor is God, <laughs> king, queen, uh, final say, you right? Know? Gone mm -hmm. are those days. Mm -hmm. How can I best advocate for myself as a patient, given the fact that I don't have medical training? I don't know what I should know, but mm -hmm. I do know the bare minimum for myself. What advice would you have for us? So first of all, I always tell patients, when you go in to see your practitioner, whether it's a doctor, a clinician, a nurse, mm. you are consulting. Mm -hmm. We need to define consultation. Mm -hmm. What does consultation mean? It actually means we're having an engagement. Right. So how are we engaging if you're not learning? Mm -hmm. So first of all, for the patient, always understand that not only do you want to know what's wrong with you, it should be important that you understand the why, the mm -hmm. how you got here. Mm -hmm. 
what's going to be done? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Right. Ask questions. Do not be intimidated mm-hmm. in seeking information. Sure. That's a big deal. The second thing is that patients must always know they have a right to a second opinion. Mm-hmm. I know many people think that seeking a second opinion means you don't trust your doctor. Mm-hmm. Actually, it doesn't. Sure. It is a right mm. that you hold as a Kenyan and as a human being yeah. that you can tell me. I can actually go and ask from Dr. Claire whether we're on the same page. Right. And uh, if she still thinks the same, I will still come back exactly. to you. Exactly. And that's fine. Exactly. And I, I like that you patients know? now actually ask us yes. for somebody. Can, do you, mm-hmm. can, can you advise me on a colleague? I can seek a second opinion. Absolutely. I just want to find out. And just compare notes. Mm-hmm. And I shouldn't take it personally as a, as a doctor. Absolutely. Because it's Why? not an ego thing. It's, it's not, not an ego thing. It has nothing thing. to do with you, <laughs> the individual, right? Me wanting a second <laughs> opinion should not offend my provider. Absolutely. Right? And if the provider gets offended, then you really need to you find really yourself need, a new sure. provider. You it's really a, that yeah, simple. You're already in the wrong place. Absolutely. Right. So, yes, asking questions, speaking up, never being intimidated, asking to know what all your possible options look like, mm-hmm. even the ones you cannot afford. Asking to understand what is the emergency, because that's another thing, especially for the surgical disciplines, mm-hmm. where a patient is seen, a diagnosis is made the same evening they are in theatre. Yeah. And we ask, yeah. what was the rush? Yeah. This was not an emergency. Yeah. The patient had an option of sitting down thinking about it True. and deciding when they want to do it. So no, treatment cannot be at the convenience of the doctor mm. because ultimately it begins to look like you're scared. If the patient walks out, you won't see you them again see and them you'll again. have lost income. Yeah. And that is how they're going to continue perceiving us until we actually understand to give them their free will mm. or not give it to them actually because they have it, mm. to honor it. True. True. So if you're, you're, you feel rushed mm. into something, take a step back. Mm-hmm. Seek a second opinion. Mm. Take a breather. Tell your doctor, no, I don't think I'm ready for surgery next week. I've lived with this condition for the last six months. Sure. I'm sure one more week isn't going to be what's going to put me in the grave unless mm. you can show me what the emergency really yes. is. Yeah. So, yes, there are emergency conditions. Mm. But there, are, I mean, a lot of our patients are not emergencies. Mm. Let us give them an opportunity to feel like they're part of the decision-making process. Mm -hmm. So once as a patient you feel like you're not being given the room Mm -hmm. to participate in the care, Mm -hmm. in your own care, Mm -hmm. that should be a red flag. Mm -hmm. That should make you want to take a step back and ask whether this is correct. Mm -hmm. Also, as a patient advocate, there are things we have talked about over and over. You have to help us help you. Mm-hmm. Antibiotic resistance, for instance. Mm-hmm. When your doctor says you do not need an antibiotic, yeah, that one. You really have to understand <laughs> that, that you more. really do not need an antibiotic. Yeah. Because at this point, no fever is not a deficiency of antibiotics in your system. Mm. You really just need to have this treated appropriately. Mm. And anybody dashing to give you those medications without explaining or without justifying should be the reason you should be wary. So let's think about these things. Let's think about our treatment options and how they are. Let's not always imagine that a a treatment option has a better outcome just because it costs more. Mm That's not mm-hmm. necessarily the truth. And sometimes True. much cheaper options could even give you better outcomes. True. So it's just important to understand all those things so that you're able to speak for yourself from a point of information. True. Never be intimidated by anybody who tells you that you decided to consult Dr. Google. Guess what? If they can't get along with Dr. Google, then you yeah. really are in the wrong yeah. room too. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I, like I keep telling my own patients, I really would like 
for you to be informed. Absolutely. I want you to have the knowledge and mm-hmm. the information so that this is now a partnership. Absolutely. It's a whole lot easier <laughs> for me and you to have exactly. a conversation when you're coming from a background of some inform. My job is to correct exactly. the notions yeah. or explain a matter that you may have understood differently mm-hmm. or literally tell you, okay, that information is really not yeah. correct. And maybe even sometimes contextualize. Because Absolutely. if you're yes. reading on the internet, it may be something that's available elsewhere mm-hmm. and not here. Yes. It may be available here, but not right for you. And mm-hmm. I'm able to contextualize and make it uh, make more sense. Tailor Absolutely. make your treatment plan. Absolutely. Yeah. So I like I like I think mm-hmm. our conversation sort of starts to help us repair mm-hmm. the breaking of trust or the the loss of trust that we've sort of had because you'll sit somewhere and listen to how people argue that my doctors this doctors in Kenya especially now with this <laughs> we can fly out and get treatment mm-hmm. elsewhere we have that debate that no doctors in Kenya can't be trusted they're not well trained they're not informed they they're going to disappoint and fail every single time i think this conversation starts to demystify that and correct the misunderstandings because mm-hmm. a lot of the time it's misunderstandings absolutely um so again thank you very much i think that brings us to the end of this episode it has been fantastic in that we've covered even areas where i know there are a lot of doctors who don't have a full understanding especially when it comes to the medical council mm-hmm. just because we are sort of afraid <laughs> <laughs> no for my for, for 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 doctors my parting shot to them is always let me assure you that even if you've never been summoned mm. But you hold a registration number. Seventy mm. percent chance you have been adversely mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's just that when it has no merit, mm-hmm. you'd never get to know about it. Right. But if all of us were able to actually see how many times we have been adversely mentioned in hearings, we'd be surprised. True. True. Just stick to doing the right thing at all times. Mm. Being mentioned adversely doesn't make you a bad doctor. True. It makes okay? you a practicing doctor. It makes you a practicing <laughs> doctor. True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The only difference is can we prove that you did the best possible? Mm-hmm. So at any time you come into contact with your patient, mm-hmm. if your mantra in life is do the right thing for the patient at the right time at all times, mm-hmm. then it doesn't matter how many times you're mentioned. True. And that's really important for people to know so that they don't take it personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we don't run away and you're always scared when you're practicing on Tashtakiwa. Yeah. No, no, provide the best possible standard of care, follow guidelines, do what is best practice. Uh, evidence-based medicine mm-hmm. and a multidisciplinary approach and communicate 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 so i think we'll leave it there thank you once again for joining us for this episode i look forward to engaging with you further in the comments dr nelly and i will actually sit down and respond <laughs> and where we can't we'll have another session where we can um, reply to any of the questions that may come up thank you very much and i look forward to seeing you again next week bye